What a fun Sunday, hey? Fun Sunday. It's fun. These, these fifth Sundays of the month is our family Sunday, which means all the kids are in here. So it's going to be really busy. It's going to be active. I'm already getting the eyes from my wife. So how busy has our row been? Busy? Yeah. So, but it's exciting. I think it's great to have kids in with us, learning the Word of God together, worshiping together. It's, it's powerful. Okay. How many of you growing up, had brothers and sisters that you would prank or tease at different times. Raise your hand. Let's own it. Yeah, I know. I, I, I suspect. I suspect usual suspects are raising their hands out there. I could see it. I had a younger sister, so I'm the big brother. I had a younger sister, and I would love to hide around the corner and wait for her to come into a room and then jump scare her. She'd go, ah, and then she'd hit me. I don't believe I deserve that. Stop laughing, kids. All the kids are like, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. So just to get us thinking about family dynamics and what happens in homes, I want you to check out these videos of, of people getting pranked by their brother and sister. <laughs> oh, that's great. I would totally do this. <laughs> Drop it. My credit card. If you catch yeah. it, you can buy any piercing you want. Yeah. Ready? It goes quick. Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> Who was planning that one right there? <laughs> See, it doesn't matter what age, you're still pranking your brothers and sisters. See, I, I watch these videos, and you know what I think? I think this is typical family shenanigans. <laughs> this is how families operate. You got your brother and sister, you got to pick on them a little bit and tease them a little bit or prank them a little bit. I think that happens in a lot of homes and good homes. But I also know that even in good homes and homes that are close and healthy, there's still tension. There's sometimes difficulties, arguments, and old patterns that we can fall back into that are not healthy. And there's degrees to this. There's degrees to, to family dysfunction. And as a pastor, I've talked to people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and I get into conversations about their home and what their home was like, and they're like 40, 50 years removed from their home, and they still carry some of that junk and hurt from when they were kids. That stuff's real, isn't it? It's, just, it's easy to fall back into patterns, especially as a family. Uh, I got married at 19 years old. That's when I got married. So my wife and I grew up together. And at times, we're in our 40s, so we should be super mature, right? We should be past so many arguments and disagreements but it's easy to slip back into those old patterns of how we had talked to each other in our early 20s. This, this, this family dynamics. And, and I've actually, I have some observations, right? And, and sadly, I, I wonder why, why do we sometimes treat strangers better than our own family? 
people around the church. I'm, I'm sometimes nicer to the people around the church, the people I meet, complete strangers than my own family. Also, it's hard to break out of unhealthy patterns that go way back. And some of these ruts or patterns, they're just, they're deep. And, and because of what you did in your family, when you're growing up, it can influence and affect your not only current, present family or also relationships outside your family. But I do know this. God gives us our family for our sanctification. This is just true. Those people that you're growing, you grew up with, the people you have in your home right now, they're there for your sanctification. So they will either draw you closer to God or how you respond, push you away from God. But it will help you love God more and how you react to Him and how you respond to Him. They're there for your sanctification. But you might be sitting here and you're saying, you know what? In my present home, in my present home, I don't want it to look like the home I grew up in. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about sibling rivalries this morning. That's what we're going to talk. We're talking about. And we're going to work out of the book of Obadiah. And you're saying, Oba, what? Anyone just currently read this book? <laughs> you're seeing, you're saying, um, I haven't read that book. I, I read through the Bible periodically, and I hit this chapter, but it's been a while. So if you, if you don't know where to turn to get to Obadiah, it's between Amos and Jonah, or you can grab one of those chair Bibles in the, in, in the, chair, the row in front of you, and I'll give you the page number. That's what I read out of Sunday mornings, is those chair Bibles. I'll give you the page number so you can turn there quickly. It's 793, 793. Obadiah, it's the shortest book in the Bible, Old Testament, excuse me, shortest book in the Old Testament, it's one chapter, and it's a prophet's vision, Obadiah's vision, <laughs> I hear the rustling, you're trying to find this book, right, you're like, why are we reading in Obadiah, you'll see, you'll see here in just a few moments, okay, the vision of Obadiah, so verse one, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom, Okay, we're going to be talking about the Edomites this morning. We have heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise up, let us go against her for battle. So this is a prophecy against Edom. Verse 2, See, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart, see again, speaking against the Edomites, was de has deceived you. You, will li you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and made your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So this, is a, this is a coming judgment against the Edomites. If thieves come to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted if grape pickers came to you? Would they not leave a few grapes? But how you, Esau, now that's interesting. Do you see the twist here? You, Esau, will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, and you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? 
those of understanding in the mountains of Esau. You catching this? It's interesting that bringing in Esau. Your warriors will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down and slaughtered because of the violence against your brother who? Jacob. Okay, what's going on here? There's more going on here. You'll be covered with shame. You'll be destroyed forever on the day you stood aloof. While strangers carried off his wealth, foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in his day of misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Because listen, Edomites, listen. The day of the Lord is near. Okay, so what's going on? What's happening in this book? Why is Obadiah prophesying against the Edomites? Well, I'll give you some context. At the time that this, this prophet is receiving this vision, Babylon, the Babylonians, this big, powerful empire, was conquering many nations. And the last nation in their, their crosshairs was Israel or the southern kingdom of Israel, of Judah. Because there was hardly any Israelites left at this, at this point. And so Babylon was coming in to just attack and wipe them out. So you kind of have to see the, the Babylonians like the bully. Do you know the playground bully? who finds the weak kid that he, that he could pick on or she could pick on. And you got to imagine, here's this, this bully just beating down this weak kid. Right? Got him down on the ground and punching him and kicking him. Sad, right? This is sad. Now, who are the Edomites? The Edomites is a neighboring nation. If you kind of look at this map, you see it's kind of southern part, like lower than just underneath Judah, so what are these Edomites doing? The Edomites are kind of like a, a bystander watching this bully beating up this weak kid. And the Edomites is like a bystander that runs up and gets a few kicks in too and reaches through that poor weaker kid's pockets to get his lunch money. That's the Edomites. The Edomites see what the Babylonians are doing and then they, they join in and sack Jerusalem and they kill Jews they kill Israelites, and they take their stuff. And then as these Israelites are being hauled off into captivity, into Babylon, the Edomites attack them on the way. Now why? Why are these Edomites attacking Israelites? Because it goes way back. Way back to a family feud. And I'm not talking about that cute little game show. I'm talking... A deep, deadly feud. Because Edom are the descendants of Esau, and Israel is the descendants of Jacob. And so what we have is this like blood feud between Jacob and Esau. And, and do you remember the story of those two brothers? The sons of Isaac? Yeah. Esau was the firstborn, so he had the right to the birthright, right? He, he was going to get the, the lion's share of the inheritance. 
and then Jacob being the younger son was going to get whatever's left over. But then Esau, remember, makes that bonehead move. Esau was out hunting for too long. Amen, wives in the room. Out hunting for too long. And was unsuccessful. Doesn't come back with any wild game, so he's hungry. And as he walks into the house, Jacob, the younger brother, takes advantage of the situation. He'd, he'd been cooking and cooked up some really, really good stew. And he says to Esau, Esau, you're hungry. I see that. I'll sell you this bowl of stew for your, your birthright. And that's what Esau does. He says, I'm, I'm so hungry. I'm so famished. What's my birthright worth to me if I die? Give me that stew. And so he sells his his birthright for a bowl of stew. And that's actually where the Edomites get their name. Genesis 25, 20 says, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that is why he was also called Edom. They get their name from that, that moment of just pure foolishness. It's kind of like this. I've been thinking about a way of explaining this. Let's say, just work with me here for a moment, let's say your grandfather, your grandfather bought up a bunch of stock in the Apple company. Like early 80s, bought a bunch of the public stock in the Apple company. And that was going to be the inheritance to your dad and your uncle. They're going to get the stock. But then your dad didn't see the value in the stock. You know, it's late, late 80s and doesn't see that this company's taken off and they and he wants his inheritance. He wants his quick money, right? So he can live out his lifelong dream. So your uncle says, hey, you sell me your stock. I'll give you that money. So that your dad, just work with me. I'm just having a little bit of fun right now. So that your dad could live out his dream of being a clown. He's all in on the clown business. He buys a clown car. Clown, clown clothes, clown makeup, the whole clown business. He's all in and being a clown. So now you, as your dad's son, are stuck in the clown business. Now maybe at one time, you're laughing, at one time clowns were popular. Now are kids, like are parents hiring clowns for their family parties anymore? No, clowns are scary. Amen. Clowns are scary. <laughs> but you're stuck. You're stuck in the clown business. And your cousins are millionaires. And that's, that's what these Edomites are feeling. Because, listen, Jacob is God's chosen people. His descendants, his generations are God's chosen people. And the Edomites, they're on the outside. They're just one nation among many nations. Have you heard of Israel? Have you heard of Israel? You've been seeing Israel in the news. You, you've heard of the nation of Israel? Have you heard of an Edomite? Have you heard of an Edomite? No. Gone. And that Edomites are carrying that. They're upset. And they're looking over at the descendants of Jacob saying, you, you are the generations of Jacob. That lion, thieving, schemer, Jacob. I hope you get what's coming to you. That's what's in their head. And when the opportunity presents itself, what do the Edomites do? They jump in. And I'm telling you, 
They did horrible things to the Israelites. When the Israelites are being just ransacked and pillaged, Edomites are right there stealing stuff and killing Jews. And as these people, just think about families, are being carted off to Babylon, to captivity, Edomites were there killing and stealing their stuff. And that's why you have this prophecy. So what, what, what can we learn from as we read Obadiah that, that can relate to us today? First, grudges destroy relationships. You listening to me? Grudges can just damage and destroy relationships. We see this in this passage. We see how Esau hates Jacob. And because of this, his descendants are, are, are carrying that grudge along. Grudges lead to violence. And this becomes very, very ugly stuff. But don't, don't, don't miss the fact that this stuff is still happening. What we see happening in the Middle East currently is a blood feud between two brothers. It's between Ishmael and Isaac. The sons of Abraham. Isaac is the promised son, and Ishmael has never gotten over it. And so now the Arabs, which would be the descendants of Ishmael, are continuing this, this anger and hatred. And now you have this, this destruction between the two. And it's so sad. It's a grudge that the Arabs will never give up on, right? It's built in so deep, and we pray for the peace of Israel for Israel, but we know that there is a hatred there and a violence. And that's the problem with grudges. Grudges lead to violence. Grudges can be deadly. So I want to talk about you. Do you hold a grudge against somebody? Is there some past hurt that still bothers you and you're holding on to it? Hey, kids in the room, listen to me, kids. Don't Hold on to anger and hurt. Because it will stay with you. And what happened when you were young still affects people. It does. Brother with brother, sister with sister, brother with sister. Grudges are not good. And they hurt. Okay, to help explain this and maybe teach about how bad grudges are in the home and in the family... I baked up some brownies. Well, I didn't bake it. My daughter baked up some brownies. And I actually, now I got some teenagers. <laughs> I haul these brownies, all of a sudden I see some heads popping around, like looking. <laughs> what? What do you got there? Cut into bite-sized pieces. Anyone want some of these brownies? You want to come up and grab some brownies? Man, you are so trusting. Uh, you understand that I have these up here for a reason. What do you think? Is there a catch? Is there a catch with these brownies? Yes. Yes. These brownies have been compromised. <laughs> My daughter made a point to get these brownies out to certain people just to tease them. So some of you ate some of these brownies before. Okay, one batch is fine. One batch... I ran out and got some dog poop from the backyard and mixed in it. So they're poop brownies. <laughs> what do you think, Doug? Which one do you think you got? <laughs> See, my daughter wanted me to give that to you. 
<laughs> the problem is I can't remember which is which. Which one do you think you got, Nathan? Good one or bad one? <laughs> they taste good or bad? See, here's the thing, and here's my point. They look like fine brownies, right? The problem with it? They look fine. But there's something wrong with them, and it's underneath the surface. If you just take a casual glance, it looks fine. But yet, there's some, there's some kind of junk in there that, that makes them not a good brownie. <laughs> They're not good. Understand, you do not want to eat this brownie. See, and this happens in families and relationships. You give the outward appearance that everything is fine, and that's a good batch of brownies. That's a nice-looking family. Everything seems to be going for that family, but underneath it, you got a lot of junk and hurt and pain. And you know where this comes out? Listen, take it from a pastor who's seen it so many times. When you start seeing these, this old pain come out is when you have a tragedy, when you have a death in the family, and then all that bad blood surfaces. Or there's a terrible divorce, or, or maybe a sibling goes through a hard time, and then you start seeing the, all that nasty old patterns come right up to the surface. And that's not what God wants for his families. It's not what God wants for his family. So then what do we do? Well, we follow the words of Jesus, amen? We follow the words of Jesus. You've heard it that it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. What Jesus is teaching is that the Ten Commandments are pretty clear. You're not supposed to kill anybody, right? If you murder, you've broken one of those commandments. But then he, he takes it a step further because then he starts talking about a person's heart. He says, but I tell you, this is, this is Jesus teaching how the law ought to be applied, but I tell you, it's not just the, the physical act of killing somebody, it's also if any of you are angry with your brother or sister, are you reading this, kids? Look at this. Look at the scripture with me. If you're angry at your brother and sister, if you say something hurtful to your brother or sister, he says, anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. This is the strong language of the Sermon on the Mount. But the idea is, hey, how you treat the people around you, whether helpful or you're hurting people, it matters, and it matters to Jesus. And then he says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. What do we need to be doing as people who love Jesus and follow Christ? Reconciliation. We should be seeking out reconciliation with those people who might have hurt you, right? Who might have hurt you or you hurt. If you know that you got a brother or a sister or aunt or uncle or a cousin or a mom or a dad or even a friend, and you know that there's something between you two, you should seek out reconciliation. Kids, can you just listen to me for a second, kids? Here's my challenge for you, all right? When you go home, I want you to seek out that brother and sister that maybe you've been fighting with. And maybe you're the, 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 the bully. You've been picking on your brother or sister. Maybe you're the one who's been picked on. And I want you to go to them 
And I want you to say you're sorry. If you're hurting that other person, that sibling, I want you to say you're sorry. Are you, you hearing me, kids? I want you to say, I'm sorry. I love you. I want to be friends. And if you're the one who's being picked on and you're being hurt by your brother and sister, I want you to go to that, to that sibling that might be hurting you and say, hey, I know I've been angry at you, but you've been hurting me this way. I want us to be friends. I love you. And seek out reconciliation. You hearing me, kids? You want to deal with this stuff quickly. You don't want poop brownies in your home, do you? Uh, no one wants that. No one wants that. Take care of this stuff and quickly. Hey, adults in the room, you might need to make a phone call. You might need to make a phone call this afternoon. You might have to call up your brother and sister, or your aunt and your uncle, or your cousin, or your family. It's some issue that's been in there for a while, and, and you have to start making it right. But now listen, I want, I want to be careful to caution you that if there is some type of deep dysfunction there, not to somehow become buddy-buddy and try to enter back into whatever chaos that person might be living. There might be a reason you've been distant from that person. Because there might be an addiction or there might be some type of abuse. And they might still be the abuser. They might still be addicted to whatever they're addicted to. So you've got to have good, healthy boundaries. And we'll pray for wisdom there. You need to have good, healthy boundaries and wisdom. But Christ asks us to seek out reconciliation. Amen? So what, how can you extend love and peace to that person in a healthy way? Now, I know the Holy Spirit will show you. We'll pray for that. And I know the Holy Spirit will show you and give you the words. But I do know if your brother or sister has something against you, you're supposed to leave your, your gift at the altar. Don't even bother worshiping God. God, go and make things right. You with me, kids, adults? What do we do? We seek out reconciliation. All right, I just got a couple more points I want to talk to quickly, and then we'll be done. We also have to remember that God is against the bully. Obadiah is clear to explain that the Edomites are taking that position of strength and being a bully, empowering over the Israelites. And if you're in a position of strength and you're hurting the people around you, God does not want that. So whether this is in your home or this is on the playground, God does not want you to take that place of strength and hurt people. That's wrong. You with me, kids? And I have two things to say about this. First, bullies need Jesus. I want to share the gospel here for a moment. If, you, if you've been in a place of being the bully, Christ offers love and forgiveness and will heal your heart because often we bully because we hurt on the inside. Do you hear me, kids? The reason you might want to hurt somebody is because you're hurting. And Jesus Christ offers mercy and forgiveness for the bully. And I want to show you an example in the scriptures. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I once was a blasphemer and a violent man. What, what Paul's saying is he was a bully. And he hurt people. 
But then he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And I can relate to this testimony. I can relate because when I was growing up, I was a bully. I was kind of a chubby kid growing up. Middle school was chubby, and I felt very insecure and very little self-confidence. So you know what I'd do? I'd pick on other people. I remember in particular, one girl I picked on, we shared the same bus stop, we were in the same neighborhood, and every time we walked home, I would, I would pick on her and I would bully her. Now, I don't remember everything I did. I still don't even remember everything I did. I remember meeting this woman, who was the same age as me, in church. She started attending the church I was pastoring. And she's like, do you remember me? And I'm like, not really. And she's like, Sarah, oh, I, you're my neighbor, right? She's like, yeah. I'm like, what, what happened to you? I, I, I didn't see you. I mean, I remember in elementary, but I don't remember seeing you. She said, I had to move school districts because of you. She had to change school districts because of me. And I was like, I don't even remember all that. And all I can say is I, I know I was bad. I was nasty. I was mean. But, but Jesus got a hold of my life and changed me. I'm like, I'm sorry. Jesus changed my heart, but I'm sorry. You know what happened? Is later, she wanted to be baptized, and we're having a baptismal service. And she wanted to skip the service because guess who was baptizing people? She said, I don't want you to baptize me. I mean, she had that junk in there. And you know what the Lord said to her? The Lord said to you, it is a perfect picture of redemption that your childhood bully is the one who's baptizing you. And, I, and that, we, had, we did that service. And I didn't deserve to be in that position to baptize that, that, that wonderful lady. She was a really nice lady. I wasn't in that position. I didn't deserve this because it's all grace. Now the bullies need Jesus. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Every time I read these words, I just... I interject myself into this passage because I share the same testimony as Paul. I, mean, I can relate to this man. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, mortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all to the praise and glory of God that I can be standing up here even talking to you about Jesus. I mean, it's all Jesus. It's all his grace. So listen, if you're a bully in the room, listen. If you're the bully, Jesus died for you and offers mercy and forgiveness. Turn to him. And listen, we can continue to bully, which is my second point. We have to, we have to stick up for the weaker person. Because even adults bully. They can bully at work. They can even bully in their home. 
They can bully their spouse. They can bully their kids. And that's not, that's not how we parent, and that's not how we love our spouse. We don't bully people. So now we have to stick up for the weaker person. That's what God wants us. To look at that person who might be hurting. Look at the playground, and if you see that weaker person being picked on, what do you do? Come on, kids, what do you do? You step in, right? I mean, you stick up for the weaker person. Or, or, if it's, or maybe it's in the home. Your heart should break for your younger brother, your younger sister, and say, no, I'm not going to do this to you. I'm not going to hurt you. I want, I want this to be a good home, a home that is full of love. No poop brownies. I want a good home. And I'm going to be right with you, parents, and make sure that that happens. And finally, God defends the weak and helpless. I want to be clear here that Israel, and this, at this point in, it, in Israel's existence, it's weak. It's being attacked, and the Babylonians are just taking full advantage of sacking Jerusalem, and the Edomites are coming right along behind them and taking whatever is left. But understand this, the day of the Lord is coming, and the weak will be made strong. And if you're in a place of weakness, God will defend you. God will lift you up and support you. And we as followers of Christ, we have God who will defend and is on our side. That's good news, amen? So, we're actually going to, for the next few weeks, look at Obadiah and different sections of the Old Testament because I want to give us a big picture understanding of what's happening in the Middle East. And I want us to have a big picture understanding of Israel, but also the, the times that we're living in and, and what's happening in the news. And sometimes, as believers, we can be unreflective and not think about it, but we ought to be thinking about this stuff. We ought to be aware, and we ought to be just fully aware that God has a powerful plan that he's working out, and we, we're watching it unfold, which gives us so much faith and certainty. And I love the idea that we, as a body of Christ, can be aware of Christ's return and also standing firm that he, he's coming and all things will be made right. I think that should be just on the forefront of our minds. Amen? Amen. Hey, let Christ come. Maranatha. Soon as possible. But I want to pray. I want to pray for us this morning. Because I don't know what's happening in your home. I want to pray for it. I don't know maybe what happened in the home you grew up in. Maybe you need to make a phone call. And I want to pray for wisdom that you understand how much of that conversation, you know, how much do you go into what happened or do you just give a very, a very just an expression of love and peace towards that person? Because I know you have to be careful and have strong boundaries. You with me? But I want to I pray for reconciliation in our homes. Let's pray. Father, I know that currently there's so much hurt and pain in this room. Because of things that happened maybe even like 60 years ago. It could be so long ago, and yet it's still there. And me just... Teaching a message and working through a passage like this, it's bringing it all up. And I just pray first that we can, we can be people who forgive, which sometimes is the hardest thing that, that a, a believer can do is just forgive. Because, Father, we know that forgiveness has nothing to do with what the, how that person responds. It's, it's a release. It's, it's a, a ties of that hurt 
is, is, is taken off us when we just forgive. And I pray that we'll be people of forgiveness. But now, Father, I pray for reconciliation. I pray that we can take steps to make things right. And I pray in the hearts of every one of the kids in this room that they will be aware of, of how, how they're, they're treating their brother and sister and how this stuff isn't, isn't just, just this simple little playfulness or sibling rivalry. Some of this stuff actually hurts long term. And I pray that they will not be the bully, but they will take care of their weaker sibling and they will show love. Father, pray that you give us wisdom to know how deep to go into a conversation with this person, that we'll be careful not to open up our hearts to more hurt and pain if this person hasn't really changed, but just to express to them, express to them they're still loved and still, there can still be peace. But Father, I just pray you give us wisdom. I pray for reconciliation. I believe if if families are reconciled, that can be a place of good discipleship and love. We love you. We just want to be faithful followers of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.